Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, the Permission Granted Podcast, the show about the show, the show within the show. As always, you can download and listen to this on your normal podcast platforms, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio.com. Also, you can listen to this on demand. Just go to the website, cbssportsradio.com. It has its own podcast feed. It also appears on the DA Show podcast feed. So today was yet another Mothership at the Movies, and we did Slapshot, the 1977 hockey film starring Paul Newman as the player coach, grizzled veteran player coach of the Charlestown Chiefs, who are a rough-and-tumble Milltown minor league hockey team. Milltown is going under. This is a time in the country's history where a lot of these Rust Belt towns are sinking and polluted and mills are closing and people are moving out and people are losing jobs, so the Chiefs can't really survive there anymore. They might be moving to St. Petersburg, Florida. They end up playing a goon style of hockey to bring people back into the stands. They win the championship on a forfeit over the hated Syracuse Bulldogs. And it's one of the iconic sports comedies ever. So, Mraz, my first thought is it was such a breath of fresh air to watch a good movie. We had just run through so many bad movies. Like, Ladybugs was funny because of Rodney Dangerfield in my mind. Ed was just such a disaster. But Ed was at least entertaining from how awful it was. This was a objectively good movie and it was so refreshing yeah i i agree this is one of the great movies as i said i this is the first movie that we picked that i actually own i could physically take a discount and put in a player that's how much i've always adored uh slapshot i grew up my father loved slapshot my uncles loved slapshot it was you know growing up you couldn't not see slapshot you couldn't stop on tv if it was on so i was pumped for this i would have been pumped for a league of their own too because i love a league of their own but, yeah, you're right. To fully in- invest, and it's funny to sit there with the notes as we do, as we try to go through the sports of it, but just laugh out loud and not at the ridiculous plot lines of a movie, which we had so much of over the past few weeks, but more of, wow, this movie's just genuinely an awesome, funny movie, was kind of different and kind of cool. I think, by far, this is the best movie that we reviewed. Uh, I would agree, though. My guess would be that, he Got Game was probably the most critically acclaimed movie that we Yeah, did. I mean, it's two different styles because He Got Game is kind of taking on cultural issues and right. is made to be a drama. 
It's very cinematic, of course, done by Spike Lee. So, yeah, my guess is he got game, yeah, was probably more critically acclaimed, and Slapshot is just kind of a a slapstick comedy. But in terms of the best movie, like for sports fans, I would say... I think Slapshot's the best movie pound for pound we have reviewed. Yeah, it's funny because we've done two of my three favorite sports movies of all time already. So if we hit the third, then we've hit the trifecta. Happy Gilmore, Slapshot, my number one is Any Given Sunday. So we are actually, or have already done two of my three favorite sports movies of all time. Well, I do think we have to get to Any Given Sunday and A League of Their Own because both of those clips are in the open. Right, right. As is The Waterboy. Right, and all have a phenomenal amount of football and all of that. I will tell you, though, and I know we're going to get the slap shot, you know what this movie really made me long for as far as a review? And I'm not suggesting we do, but it's something to keep uh, on the burner. And I know we've already gone down this road with this actor, but I would love to do semi-pro because this semi-pro is the basketball version of Slapshot to me. Right. That's the Will Ferrell movie. I mean, with a lot of the, the Reggie Dunlop stuff that Will Ferrell would do as far as getting fans in the crowd. It's a similar... Uh, plot storyline, but just made more in the 2000s, I think would be another hysterical movie to do uh, that follows along the same pathway that we have here with Slapshot. I think the other part that I absolutely loved last night, I mentioned this on the radio, I had never seen it start to finish, just clips and bunches and catch it midway through on TV. So to watch it start to finish really gave me a totally new appreciation for it. I mean, I can't wait to watch it again because, you know, I was watching it with a notebook in front of me instead of (laughs) just watching it as an an entertainment vehicle, but also we had just gone through so many kids-style jokes. I mean, what's funny in Ed is that the chimpanzee farts loud. What's <laughs> funny in in Ladybugs, you know, has to do with 12-year-old girl soccer. These are really off-color jokes, right. a lot of very adult humor, and humor from a different generation, the late yes. 70s. That's a totally different brand of humor than you're allowed to get away with now. A lot of it's highly offensive. But it was just a it was just refreshing to watch a movie that was basically written by adults and right. for adults. I, I totally agree. And, and honestly, not to tie this and everything going on, but it was, it was refreshing to get a break from cable news to watch a movie where it was just like you were okay to get lost in stupid humor and laugh and adult jokes and not be cheesy or anything like that. I found the whole night, to be honest, of sitting down and watching Slapshot extremely mentally cleansing and refreshing. You're not alone in watching cable news right now because they have record ratings. I don't know right. how you people are doing it. I don't tough, turn man. I do not turn on cable news. I, I get plenty of my information, all that I need online, right. my trusted sources, my Apple news feed, the websites I go to, the newspapers that I read. I don't know how you're dealing with this watching cable news, Brutal. which is by and large just a twenty four seven schlock fest. And and it totally is. And I guess part of it is A there's nothing really going on. If I had games going on at night, I totally my focus would still be totally on on sports. But it's also it just it's so culturally shocking about what's going on that you almost you you almost don't want to miss. I guess like what am I going to miss next? That's going to happen. Like is there going to be some kind of changing moment that happens in one of these situations in one of these cities that you know you almost want to be part of in real time? But I agree with you. I'm just so tired of it and getting to take a break from that and watch Slapshot. To me, I feel the most mentally refreshed on this Wednesday morning that we are taping this that I have felt in eight days, which I hope is a good thing. One of the things that stuck out to me also watching Slapshot, we, 
I think we joked about this before the show, maybe on the show. I'm not sure. But it was refreshing to watch really good acting. Paul yes. Newman's one of the great actors ever, one of the great American actors ever. And he's so good in this. And there's just like little moments how he delivers some lines, his kind of, he has such a confidence about him that it's so different than watching Rodney Dangerfield's bug eyes <laughs> or, or Matt LeBlanc futz his way through. Or, or the know. terrible Iceland coach in D2. I mean, or, or, or Ricky everything Bobby. that happens in Happy Gilmore <laughs> or everything that happens in Will Ferrell movies. Paul Newman is not only a great actor. Is he not staggeringly handsome for an older man? I thought the same thing. And if you could get, <laughs> if you could get past the style of like the pants, the yeah. jacket of and his everything, crazy up, fur jacket, and right, plaid the seventies kind of look. If you yeah. know, if you're not engulfed in that, you're right. You look at a Paul Newman there, and you realize that is a clean cut, oh, gritty enough, God. yeah, gritty enough, but very handsome man. It, it really was, and he's very charismatic too. You could tell, you know, if he talked the way he talked. To women in the movie, whether it's his ex-wife Francine, whether it's Braden's wife, I yeah. mean, he has this like he he makes them so angry at him, but then he leaves the room, and it's like they are obsessed with him. It's the whole aura of Paul Newman as a person and the character he plays as Reggie Dunlop. To me, if I was a woman, I'd be salivating for a Paul Newman. Yeah, and so Paul Newman, you know, rises to fame in I think the fifties as a movie star. Because primarily of his good looks or 60s, I mean, he is, well, he's a great actor too, but he is a strikingly handsome younger man. So it's not surprising that he ends up handsome. But as an older man, he also ages really well. He's also very fit. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I've seen some old, like Roddy Dangerfield did not age well. (laughs) Matt LeBlanc has gotten a little puffy. You know, most of the guys that we've now watched in these films that you know now, you're like, oh, boy, they've let themselves go. But Newman just in this Chevy film. Chevy Chase? Chevy oh Chase, boy. DA. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, remember when we saw Chevy Chase a couple years ago? Like, what had happened to Chevy Chase? When Chevy was on that SNL 40th anniversary special. Oh, sweating. Sweating, bald, fat, angry, <laughs> had no timing anymore. Oh. And Paul Newman at this point in time, let's see, he died... 10 years ago at the age of 83. And so that was 30 years before that. So, okay, so he's in his mid-50s. Okay, so in Slapshot, he's in his mid-50s. He's not that old, obviously. But you're just like, oh, yeah, right. This is what great acting looks like. This is what a handsome leading man looks like. And does it often seem like, wow, I wonder why Paul Newman, such an accomplished actor at this point in his career, took this role? Yeah, but in hindsight, it held up well. Of course, absolutely. It looks great historically that, I mean, it's a cult classic film. But at the time, doesn't it kind of feel like a bit of a cheap film made on the cheap? Yes. However, I mean, this is kind of that that mid to late 70s, you know, cinema where things were trying to get a little edgy. And I think for Newman at that stage, he had already accomplished so much. I mean, Paul Newman would have been a memorable actor had Slapshot never been made, which is ironic because it's kind of something he's most well-known for now. It was just a different role, and we see this happen a lot, I think, today with actors. I mean, whether it's Adam Silver doing uh, – not Adam Silver, Adam Sandler doing Uncut Gems now that everybody gave him the, all the acclaim for. It was like, wow, this is a different role than he's had. And I think there, there comes a point in time for any actor 
where you're so known for something that maybe just getting involved in a little something silly or a little something different than you're used to is something maybe you just want to do, and maybe it's a challenge actually to do it, even if it looks silly and looks cheap and looks all of those things that Slapshot might have looked at the time. That's probably true. Slapshot lives on in history for one significant reason. The Hanson brothers forever are great Halloween costumes. Ah. You will always see the Hanson brothers as a Halloween costume. So you just you could buy the jersey online of the Chiefs jersey and Hanson on the back, number 17, 18, 19 or something 16, like that. 16, 16, 17, 17 18. 18. And then also you just have to have big black room glasses and a long wig, and you're good to go. And yes. every year I see the Hanson brothers, and I think that's part of the reason that this this movie will last forever. That's a great point. And I actually, to that point, I think there's only two, to me, classic sports movie characters that you will see at Halloween time. It's either a Hanson brother or it's Wild Thing Vaughn for Major League. And there is something to that, right? I mean, if you could make a movie in 19... It was 1975 or 79, whatever, it doesn't matter. But whatever year it was, you make that movie... These are these star characters in it, and you know here we are going to be approaching Halloween 2020, and the fact that that is still a relevant costume. And by the way, the Hanson brothers to this day will still go to like sports memorabilia trade shows. So Amazing. you know you'll, you'll have famous boxers. You Amazing. know Pete Rose is sitting there with a stack of cards like he always is, and the Hanson brothers to this day will still have one of the longest lines, more so than regular athletes. And it's not like they've really done movies since. I mean, I think they did a cheap. Slapshot 2 were one of the Baldwin brothers. But, I mean, what are the Hanson brothers? Really? They're known for being the Hanson brothers. And these people flock to get their autographs to this day. So you're absolutely right. And the Hanson brothers are so iconic. I would say the one other hockey team that I've seen as a, a Halloween costume is the original Mighty Ducks jersey you will occasionally see right. as a Halloween. I'll, I'll see a Wayne's World brother with a Blackhawks jersey. That's yep. hockey yep. involved Yeah, you'll see that. Have you ever seen Slapshot 2? I didn't know there was a Slapshot 2. Now, this original Slapshot was made in 1977. 2 was made in the early 2000s, yeah. 2002, that had one of the unknown Baldwin brothers, one of the Stephen Baldwin, maybe? Yes, yeah, Stephen Baldwin. Did you see Sla- Slapshot 2 in 2002? Yes. As a matter of fact, I believe that's how I owned Slapshot 1. It was a box set with both. Oh. But I believe Slapshot 2 is somewhere at my parents' house. I am now, and I thought about this last time after watching. I would love to go back, because I couldn't even tell you, and I know I've seen the movie, what the storyline's even about. And Because by the end of Slapshot 1, the Chiefs have, are gone. But very clearly in Slapshot 2, the Chiefs are back. I would love to go rewatch Slapshot 2 and figure out what the heck has happened and what that storyline's about. Okay, I've got the summary for you from Wikipedia. Apparently, Slapshot 2 stars Stephen Baldwin and Gary Busey. 25 years after the event of the first win over the first film, the Charlestown Chiefs are still languishing in Pennsylvania. Sean Linden, a former NHL player whose name has been disgraced for betting on games, has replaced Reggie Dunlop as the main protagonist, initially a player coach just like Dunlop. Linden serves as the team's captain. The Chiefs struggle both on and off the ice, Violence remains their hallmark as Sean does not try to control the fighting trio of, again, the Hanson brothers. So they didn't even try. No, didn't even I, try. Because the whole ending of the first slap shot that we just watched, EA, is that the team <laughs> is being disbanded 
Reggie Dunlop is now moving to Minnesota where he's presumably going to bring his guys with him. And 25 years later, they pretend that the ending of Slapshot 1 didn't happen and the Chiefs have just continued on? Just brutal. I mean, try. At least come up with a, hey, Charleston's mill is back up and running. They want a franchise back, so they bring back the old Chief name. And they're bringing in this Baldwin brother. They managed to find the Hanson brothers who have been playing somewhere in Reno, Nevada. They're going to bring them back. Like, give me some kind of realistic storyline. Don't pretend the ending of your first movie didn't happen and the Chiefs have just been trucking along with the Hansons for 25 years. And that the Hanson brothers come back 20 years later, 25 years later, to play hockey? Well, remember, they're only 18, 19, and 20 <laughs> DA in the original slap shot. So... <laughs> I mean, conceivably, at 45, 43, 44, 43, we've seen Tom Brady play. They could have one last run in them. But the way that storyline reads, it makes it seem like the, the Hanson Bros never left Charleston, and they've been on the Chiefs for 25 years. Slapshot 3 stars nobody you've ever heard of. Oh, why even bother? It is starring Grayston Holt and Linda Boyd. Slapshot 3, the Junior League, came out five or six years after Slapshot 2, so this was from 2008. It follows a junior version of the Charleston Chiefs who fight their way to fame with a new coach and, again, the Hanson brothers in tow. It was direct-to-video. Oh. And, again, <laughs> what are the Hanson brothers doing? I mean, again. <laughs> what are they doing? I mean, if you guys haven't caught even a role in Grey's Anatomy by then, I don't know what you guys are doing. Do you need to make shot straight to video, too, because they knew that was going to be a rough one for anybody to sit down with the popcorn in theaters for? It's so sad, isn't it? So sad that they even decided to go with a Slapshot 2 and Slapshot 3 that are that embarrassing. Right. And, again, Slapshot 2 I can almost live with because of the 25-year anniversary. But when you read the storyline, I just don't like the, the – much like we did – I hate to bring up Ed again, but much like the plot holes <laughs> in Ed – that we broke down so eloquently last week. Like, that, there's no reason in a sequel to have plot lines tie up and make sense of your ending of the first one. Don't pretend the ending didn't happen. Was there anything that we did not get to on the movie that you wanted to get to today? Yeah, uh, well, right off the bat, I did want to ask you, before Braden's stripping incident TA in the championship game, he obviously has spent this whole time being a scorer that – doesn't want to, you know, play that rough-and-tumble, goony type of game, and in the end goes out and does his little thing, that's how they won a championship. Did you find Braden to be a bit of a baby? Yes. I did as well. Yes. He's not only a baby, but he doesn't understand that the coach is trying to motivate him constantly throughout the season. I mean, basically, Reggie Dunlop is Bill Parcells. He's trying to find the button to press so much so that he calls it a question, the relationship, the marital relationship that he has with his wife and right. just to stir the pot, just to get him angry. And he just doesn't take the bait the whole, the whole season. You've got a minor league hockey player that thinks he's better than the rest of his teammates. And it just ends up being, yeah, one big baby session, total big baby session. My assumption was by the end of the movie, although they never really explained this, was the idea of bringing in Braden's wife to, hey, you got to come live with me or whatever, because he, in the end, he ends up telling his ex-wife, Francie, no, she's a kid, I would never do anything with her. So there was nothing, if you will, sexual that was involved with Braden's wife, but yet he encouraged her to move out. Was that the ploy to get Braden mad? Was that physically have his wife live with him? It's very unclear. I think 
by the end of the movie, the idea is that Reggie Dunlop is pushing all the buttons to help make him a better hockey player. And so he's just kind of like, he's doing this almost as an act. But early in the film, because Dunlop is such a ladies' man, right? it comes off as he's hitting on his wife yes, and has said kind of openly, basically, you want to hook up. So I don't know if that part is an act early or if they just kind of like adjusted on the fly within the movie. That's very unclear. That to me was the biggest, I think, question mark with the film as a whole. And lastly, the last thing I wanted to bring up, boy, it really shows you entertainment in the 70s. Did that not look when the players on their off day go to see the ice dancing ladies on the ice? <laughs> that looked to me like one of the most boring entertainment <laughs> events you could ever be at. I mean, they're just skating around in a circle, basically playing the Rockettes on skates. I mean, yeah. h- how long an event is that, number one? Is that an hour? Is that an hour and a half? I, I mean, because anything more than an hour, you got to lose your mind. Number two, what is entertaining about that whatsoever? There, This is a day and age where the halftime of the Super Bowl is a marching band, is a college right. marching band. So, yeah, right. entertainment at games and things to go out to see, I guess. Very few options. You had to get real creative. Yeah, that was... To me, I look back and I go, I don't know how I would have entertained myself in the 70s. And I don't know what kind of events I'd want to go to other than a game. But that is, I mean, if that's what's going on in Charlestown, Pennsylvania, I guess, that is slim pickings for entertainment. This is also of an era. This is the oldest movie that we have reviewed. We've reviewed a lot from the 80s, a lot from the 90s primarily, some from the 80s and then the 2000s as well, like Ricky Bobby. And I guess Happy Gilmore was the 90s. So primarily the 90s. This is by far the oldest. So there's some like cultural trappings in some movie making, you know, moments that are so obvious of the 70s. The, the fashion's clearly one of them. The technology's one of them. Like he puts his rotary phone in the drawer so that he yeah, doesn't yeah. have to hear it instead of just like putting your phone on silent or, you know, what have you. But how about the scene where he's in bed with a topless woman? And Hanrahan's wife. Hanrahan's wife, right. And it's like a never-ending scene of her topless having a conversation. And in the yes. 70s, people are just going to the movies. Like, you see this in, like, Meatballs and Porkies and stuff like this. It's just like you have to have a minimum of two minutes of a topless woman in your movie or else people are very disappointed. <laughs> you know, it's right, like, right, there is, right. There is no need for her to be topless. Of course, it's a sex scene, but you don't need to see her topless. And she certainly doesn't need to have a conversation topless with it showing everything for two and a half minutes as like they discuss the season or something like that. Right. It's, it's so obvious that in like 1977, it's if right. we want young men to go see this movie, we better give them a topless woman or else they are not going to be happy with us leaving the theater. It's so funny you say that because I'm just finishing up on Amazon Prime a 10-episode uh, arc of American Playboy. And it's like the Hugh Hefner story where it's like kind of acting, reenacting stuff while interviews with Hugh Hefner. It kind of tells the story of how we got to that point in 1975 where you know, it really wasn't acceptable in 55. And basically anything you made by the mid-70s. If they did not fixture, fixture, I mean, feature some kind of scene with boobs, like you're saying, for a minute and a half, two minutes, or three pages worth in a magazine, 
there was no shot people were tuning in. Right. Like, yeah. it, it got, it had gone from completely unacceptable to, <laughs> it's actually unacceptable if you don't include this because there's no, there's too much other stuff going on with boobs that we will not pay attention to. Yeah, right. It's, not it's, it's incredible. You got, you have to have your mandated boob scene or right. else the, the movie just does not exist. Right, exactly. You might as well not even put it out. So, I'm sure you'll do more with Slapshot with Bogues because he's a big fan, but I love this movie. I just love this movie. It was just hysterical, so I'm glad we chose this one. Well, what did you think? Before you – I'll let you finish, but what did you think of – not to interrupt – of the idea that we let fans vote and we got to Slapshot? Is that something we want to continue? Or I think so. Yeah, I liked it. And I, and I do think we should now go on a run of well-regarded, well-watched sports movies because – it does give people who have maybe seen the movie 10 years ago or five years ago or 100 years ago a chance to relate to our breakdown versus Ed or Ladybugs where, like, most people just haven't seen those movies. So they'd have to, if they're part of this, they'd have, like, Major League Two. I mean, you, you really have to, you're finding a very niche audience that have right. watched Ed. So I think it's good to find popular sports movies and break those down. I agree. And so giving the, the fans the vote on this. And I wouldn't mind doing a League of Their Own next week, actually. I'd be fine with that. I, again, I mean, League of Their Own is a complete classic. And I, it would be very cool to contrast and compare because you just talked about uh, on this podcast how great an actor and how acclaimed an actor Paul Newman was. Well, I mean, Tom Hanks might be the best actor of our generation. So the idea that he's managing the female baseball team, the uh, the Rockford Peaches, could be something that's right up our alley to compare Paul Newman and Slapshot to Tom Hanks here in a league of their own. Big time cast, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, all in a league of their own. Incredible. So before we wrap up side A, I just wanted to get your take on Big Jim Murray, who joined us on Monday for our favorite people in sports, how <laughs> aggressively he defended bone-in wings and specifically flats over drummies you know, you're a guy with very hard food yeah. opinions as well. Did you appreciate somebody that had kind of locked down opinions on food like that? So I appreciated that he did have the opinions on him. And, and I am somebody that comes from the camp of I will never discriminate on a wing. I like a boneless wing. I love a bone-in wing. I prefer a bone-in wing, but I will never turn out a boneless wing as we've made the joke to basically thicker chicken nuggets that have been fried up. But it doesn't mean they can't be delicious. You're essentially eating them, though, for the crispiness and the sauce and the blue cheese. The bone-in wing is undoubtedly better than Jim Murray's right, and I love flats, too. When The problem is, and I think he brings his point up, it's very gross eating a flat, or if you're ever in a restaurant, that serves wings, watching somebody eat a flat. The yeah. way they suck out that bone or they're yeah. picking through it. A wing is a very disgusting thing to watch yeah, somebody else yeah, eat, especially yeah. a flat. So I kind of disagree with him in that people prefer the drums to the drummies because of the easier-to-eat notion. No, I mean, I think sometimes a, a drummy, the way the meat is fabricated on the bone, you know, it just kind of gives you an easier-to-handle thing, and I get it, but that doesn't make the meat taste any less than the flats. I think it's very hard for me to determine that meat is any worse on a drummy than it's a flat. I think the meat is better across the board. But I, I appreciated a hard take, and, I, and it should be noted on that. The best part of the Jim Murray interview was about two hours after the interview ended, he tweeted out or retweeted the, the video that we had put out of him making that case, and it was immediately followed by somebody asking him whether ketchup is acceptable on eggs and him giving a hardcore <laughs> put on it as well. He's the best. So final thought. And it's on chicken and chicken wings. 
I made some chicken on the grill two weeks ago, and I had one leftover Chick-fil-A roasted honey barbecue sauce packet. So I said, I'm going to put this on it because I found it in the in the cabinet. I have not been to Chick-fil-A since quarantine ended because the nearest one to me is like 45 minutes away. So I haven't had Chick-fil-A, so I haven't had any of their condiments, and I love their honey roasted barbecue sauce. So I put it on there. I said, my God, this is great. Can I buy the Chick-fil-A honey barbecue sauce online? So I look online on eBay. You know, there's people selling like their personal collection. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy somebody's personal collection of sauce. That seems weird. Then I found out that Walmart does a chicken dipping sauce, as I, I read about. That is the equivalent. So I go online. And, of course, it's sold out because pandemic and Walmart can't replace it or whatever. So I'm like, oh, God. I do a little bit more research. I found a homemade equivalent that you can buy online from a small business of chicken dipping sauce from Chick-fil-A, and it is delicious. And it's really minus most of the chemicals that you find the preservatives in the Chick-fil-A. So I don't know if you're a big fan. I know you love Chick-fil-A dipping sauces. Well, I don't know if the honey roasted sauce is up your alley, but I found, if you want the tip, I got the tip for you. So I would love that tip, but I just want to say this is, I think, the inner beauty of minds between us. Because while our education backgrounds may be different, while some, while we like to disagree on a lot of things, Mike Glennon's career, anything, <laughs> ultimately, the chemistry that you and I have developed over the years, I think, is, is second to none. And the reason I say this, you brought up a couple of weeks ago, we went to do the Sunday show, and we both ended up happening to be wearing our AAF shirts. <laughs> right. DA, no more than 11 hours ago did I grill a chicken burger on the grill and go to the back of my fridge and pour some Chick-fil-A Polynesian sauce. Is that right? Just last night. That Look was the last this. dinner I had. Look at I this. Went We're to sharing the... a brain during quarantine. It's unbelievable that you're saying this. And I thought to myself, oh, I don't have actual Chick-fil-A, but I have the sauce. I made a chicken burger here. I'm mm. going to put it on. Mm. And I took a bite, and it was heavenly. Now, I obviously, my rankings of Chick-fil-A sauces, Polynesian Chick-fil-A. So you are going with the honey roasted barbecue. And I can tell you, I don't recall the taste of the of the honey roasted barbecue. I don't dislike any sauce of Chick-fil-A, so I would be all ears on that. I would be all about it, and it should be known that you and I have been doing the same thing in quarantine, breaking out <laughs> old Chick-fil-A sauces to top on chicken we've made at home. Are you close enough to a Chick-fil-A to get, to get some during quarantine? So I am. I'm, I'm actually closer to Chick-fil-A now than I was when I lived with my parents. I can get to one in about 12 minutes. So that being said... If you want some of those other sauces, I have no time, no problem scooping them up and sending you a little care package. A little scoop and score. A okay. little scoop and score. So I, I think it's, I think it's the honey roasted barbecue sauce and not the Chick Fil A sauce because I love the Chick Fil A sauce as well, and they're both kind of mustard based. So I'm right. trying to decipher between the two. But anyway, if you go to Chick Fil A and you try the honey roasted barbecue sauce this week or whatever, and you're like, you know what, I want a whole jar of this, go online to the Grouchy Gardener. This is a guy that is in Florida. He's in, I think, the Orlando area. And he does all types of condiments. He does jars of salsa. He does, like, a bacon-flavored ketchup. He does all the stuff that he produces, you know, the vegetables. He grows the vegetables and then jars all this stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's like six bucks a bottle. And, you know, it's just, it's all homemade. And he has a chicken dipping sauce. Chicken dipping sauce, and it is the equivalent of the Chick Fil A sauce. Grouchy Gardener. I have that written down, DA. I'm I'm all about it now. I I guess what maybe would make for good uh, content. 
I might have to order this and actually go to Chick-fil-A and have oh, a little blindfold wow. to figure out, uh, you yeah. know, do they taste different? I don't want a George Costanza, they're all Twix situation, but <laughs> why not? I mean, honestly, why why not? I'm watching movies about chimpanzees playing baseball. I've done this, that, and the other thing on quarantine. Why not uh, give a local business down in Florida some business, go get, go get Chick-fil-A anyway, and then have a little taste test? Yeah, and I would say that if you make your own chicken on the grill and add this chicken dipping sauce, it's gonna it's gonna make it feel like you're eating Chick fil A chicken and really zoom it up a notch. So I love. I think it. it's worth it. This has become like the small things in life that I appreciate now is just finding something that I can shop and buy online that I get and I get excited because yeah. it comes with the mail and then yeah. I can put it on food basically. I'm doing that with peanut butters right now. There's a place in upstate New York called the Peanut Principle, and they have all different flavored peanut butters, and I order them, like, really? once a month. They just shipped. I got an Oreo peanut butter. That's what I've been eating on the show on the rice cakes. There's an Oreo peanut butter. Uh, I ordered uh, this apple peanut butter, like this apple cinnamon peanut butter. They're very good on apple cinnamon rice cakes. Um, and a banana one I tried. I've tried a s'mores one. I've tried a ton of them. There's a maple bacon peanut butter, and they're very good for either dips with celery or, or pretzels, or they're very good just on, like spread on rice cakes. I haven't yet tried one with like a peanut butter and jelly, but similar to what you've been doing, uh, I found them at a fair. They had traveled down from upstate New York back in September, and I was hooked, and since then I like trying different flavors every time, and I order them about once a month now. It's a local business I like to support, and they are excellent. Excellent. Oh, I'm seeing this. They're out of Albany, New York. That's close to Hurricane Gen territory. Yeah, the peanut principle. They're great. Excellent. Okay, well, that is side A, and I'm looking forward to Bogue's breakdown of side B. He maybe wants to go into some of the technical difficulties <laughs> of this morning because he was in scramble mode. Hour number one, we didn't even have a Bogue's update, but Unbelievable. survived in advance. So let's hear it. That was side A. Here's side B. All right, welcome into Side B of the PGP. It is Mraz, host of Side B and the executive producer of the DA Show, joined by a dynamic duo. The bogeyman, Andrew Bogus, is here, as is uh, Connor Green, who has been in the Rising Stars competition of late at CBS Sports Radio. Gentlemen, hello. What's going on, Mraz? Uh, it's the old and the new, huh? I'm it the old the- guy. I'm Vince Carter passing down my knowledge to sweet young Connor, who's the Trey Young of the NBA. So I want to set exactly. I want to set a scene this morning at CBS Sports Radio. Now, you have to understand and paint the picture. Amid the uh, obviously the pandemic that's gone on, Connor Green has been a real trooper going into the studio for us. Has really become an extra hand on the DA show that we only previously had in more of a part-time kind of role. Connor has been there almost every day for us during the pandemic in the studio, along with uh, Pete the Body Bilotti. So Connor's the only one who's had to deal with Pete. Uh, now, obviously, with the civil unrest, there's been a lot of protests that have blocked a lot of the streets and. Some stuff that's gone on by the building. So Pete has done nothing bogus but complain to me about his trips getting in. And I wanted to ask Connor, mm. are Pete's uh, complaints to me about getting in now warranted? Now, obviously, there's a lot going on in this country right now. But specifically to get to our building, Connor, has it been troubling for you in the morning the past couple of days? It's been a little bit of a pain in the butt uh, because my train the last two days has been canceled. So I've actually had to Uber in. Which is not really a pain in the butt, like in terms of actually getting into the city, but just in terms of paying for the Uber. It's been a little crazy. But on Monday, I took the train in, or uh, yeah, Monday, I took the train in, and it really wasn't too bad getting in. But I heard from Eddie that it was a little bit uh, crowded when he was coming into the office. So I'm not sure if Pete's having problems. I know he's having 
a little bit of an issue actually getting into the city because they're blocking roads off. Gotcha. Okay. So that might be what the problem is on his end. So the only reason I asked, I just want the fact check on Pete's stress level because sometimes Pete can, you know, come in and, <laughs> and you bogus, you know it better than me. I mean, he, you get, mm. a, get Pete's ear, and that is brutal. So now, this morning, we get to the point where if you were listening to the show, and by this morning I mean Wednesday morning. So if you're listening to this podcast, Wednesday mornings, Mothership at the Movies DA show, we did not hear a sentence from Andrew Bogish in the first hour of the show. The reason for that is Andrew Bogish is using a different program that a lot of our anchors at CBS Sports Radio have used. And the program itself, from what I understand, had failed. And it was nothing Bogish could do from home. It was something that we attempted to do from the studio. And something I believe, of sources indicate, is actually from the company that runs the program itself. But Bogish, number one, because Connor had to help you with this, your frustration level as this could not work. Was there a sense of panic, anxiety, or an I give up attitude based on what you were dealing with this morning on the DA show? Well, I, I knew what was going on. And this has happened not to me directly, but to other anchors, both on our network, on WFAN in New York. It's not um, it's not a rare problem, and I'm not going to do your terrible Italian accent, sis. So, <laughs> so I, my frustration was being helpless. Like, there was nothing that we could do because it, it just – it needs the – long story short, like, the machine that accepts the signal from my computer and then puts me on the air, that machine needed to be reset. And I knew I couldn't fix it. Somebody had somebody somewhere else in a room somewhere needed to power this off and back on again, and things would, would basically be okay. So it was frustrating to be helpless, but knowing what the problem was was a little bit easing. But still, at 5 or 6, 10 in the morning, people, engineers are not in the building just yet. The main crew maybe is not there. The technical guys who made the app might not have been awake. But luckily, one of them was, and that's who eventually... After a couple of tries, because um, I guess it wasn't as simple as a as just a restart as yeah. in the past, we finally were back moving again. I don't know. I mean, it, it took probably an hour, right? Because yeah, at like six fifteen, six twenties. When I try, you know, in the app, I hit one extra button, which actually puts me on the air, as opposed to being able to type my scripts and and edit sound that I want to. I hit that button, and I got this error message, and then all of a sudden, at like seven twenty, seven thirty. It was working again. So yeah, that was a it was a legit hour where I had no way of getting on the air. It's crazy. And Connor, I'm going to get your thoughts on what the heck was going on back in the studio for a second. But you know, the show has really developed over the years, and part of Da's development of characters and kind of you know, while he's he's our lead dog, everybody's voice is pretty much heard on the show, and that's kind of what's led us here to be a morning show. The bosses recognize that, and we are in many ways your classic morning zoo type of deal with our own little quirkiness. And uh, DA kind of is the point guard, is the ball distributor. We had DA in that first open, because you were probably dealing with your own problems. His internet was being real funky, and if you listen to the cold open of Wednesday show, you could hear a lot of a lot of you know blips in his connection. And I was watching the Watch DA stream, the Zoom as I as we had it going on, the Google Meet, whatever you call it, and it looked like we were going to lose DA. And DA's plan in that first break was if we lose him, Bogus will come right out to you the update. And your immediate response was, you can't go to me, I can't connect. And I was basically left in a position where am I going to be having to play iso ball with two guys injured basically <laughs> in the lineup right now. And, and luckily DA got back and we got you back and we got to have a normal basic, basic show. But Connor, in the midst of all of this which was going on, and you heard DA's line at the beginning, you, you obviously were aware of the Bogus problem is Pete, uh, Pete 
from what I understand, was distributing you having to learn how to be an engineer on the fly to figure out what the heck Bogus's problem was. Did you have any idea what you were doing, or was it simple guesswork? I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I have I know <laughs> what QGO is, and I know Bogus connects to it, and I know Jerry Recco connects to it on the FAN side. But I have no idea how he connects or how to reset anything. So I was talking to the engineer trying to figure out like how I could manually reset it. But then I told him, like, I really just don't know how the app works. So then he did something, and then I don't even really know how it got fixed. I know that Bogish then reached out to the engineer, but I think somebody from QGO then fixed the issue. So I don't know if it was yeah. an issue on our end or okay. if it was QGO in general. I'm not even sure about that. So I am relieved to hear you say you had no idea where, where this was going to focus. The reason I, I had the long setup there for Connor is I thought for sure Connor was going to come back and be like, well, I knew exactly what was going on there, and this is how I fixed the problem. And uh, Because Connor right now is in a heater where he could do no wrong. And, and, and we all, as we've joked around, could be supplanted. And we have not talked to Connor Bogish since our you know best teams ever interviews where Connor, I think we could all agree, while we all had fun with our interviews, and I think everybody's interview was really good and really strong, Connor made the most splash with his perfect questions for Mike DeVito, had an unbelievable answer about Mark Sanchez and the Jets basically ruining him, so much so that Connor's stepmom is basically tweeting at me, flexing about how good her son is, Bogish. Okay. I mean, th this was an unbelievable turn of events. Connor, did you leave and go back to family and friends after that DeVito interview like a conquering hero? <laughs> they all thought I was like the next big, great broadcaster that, oh my gosh, you're, it was amazing, it was this and that. I thought it was pretty good. I was surprised that you guys were thought it was like as great as you thought it was but they all thought i was like this great interview e but really it was just a couple of questions that i asked he oh, was really the, the one humble bogus he's the one that really lesson. gave the great answers to these questions because if he was just boring oh. and didn't say anything it wouldn't have been good anyway Oh, you just – I mean, <laughs> if that was me, Connor, you know me. I mean, Bogus, you know what I would be doing right yeah, now. Yeah, but you're I a would, terrible example. <laughs> I, I would be dunking on everybody, and here's Connor trying to be so mature. Grow an ego, Connor. Let everybody know you did a good job. My goodness. <laughs> Bogus, Bogus, also on that note, Connor on Trash Tuesday absolutely took to the woodshed oatmeal raisin cookies. I wanted to get your thoughts yeah. on, on that take. Yeah, Connor and I are having a bad week, and the, and the the oatmeal raisin cookie takedown might explain why this morning when I was talking to our engineer about the problem after Connor had, quote-unquote, already reset the receiver and had not fixed my problem, the engineer said, well, maybe Connor didn't do it right. And I was like, ha-ha, Connor has a flaw. I definitely Let's celebrate didn't do it this. right, 100%. Oh. Well, I had no it was, clue but about I, you, after, though. <laughs> Whether you did it right or wrong, the problem was not as simple as, as resetting the receiver because the guys who made the app four, three or four times gave me a, okay, go, try it now, okay, try it now, okay, try it now, and it didn't work until about their fifth email of, okay, try it now. That's so, so this frustrating. One, yeah, this one was above you, Connor, so I... As much as I would have liked a little shade on you post oatmeal raisin cookie takedown, um, it was, this was not the source of it, unfortunately. So it's just me versus you over one of the greatest cookies of all time. I mean, it's just it's just delicious. And once again, you millennials rear your ugly head with terrible takes on American tradition. I was yeah. surprised. I came in and I thought I was going to get like a lot of uh, you know positive feedback on that. I didn't think anybody likes oatmeal raisin cookies. Because I go to these family parties, and there's like five regular cookies or seven regular cookies, seven oatmeal raisin. The seven regular go in like well, two seconds, and no one ever eats oatmeal raisin. That, but that's, invite me to those parties.
Well, hold on now. If I could just come in as the voice of Chubbo Nation and the food connoisseur of the show, <laughs> let me just explain to you. The oatmeal raisin cookie is great. I, I mentioned loving it all my years at Subway. The problem with the oatmeal raisin cookie is it's something you have to be in the mood for, It's and, and that's part of its uniqueness and greatness. It's not something that plays well at a party in a group setting because, look, let's be honest. When you go to some kind of family event, family barbecue, family party, you're not exactly like pre-planning what you're in the mood for. All of a sudden, all these desserts get dropped on the table, and there's brownies. Maybe there's chocolate chip cookies. Maybe there's a little ice cream bar. Maybe there's some decent cake. Yeah, of course, in that moment when lining it up against its peers, oatmeal raisin suddenly becomes Eli Manning. It will absolutely win you championships, but then when you compare the stats and everything in the big moments in against the peers, you go, well, how great is he really? It doesn't make it any less of a Hall of Famer. I think Eli Manning and oatmeal raisin have a lot of things in common, and that's where we get in trouble comparing to our peers, and we do that in the cookie world, and that's why it doesn't rate well at your family parties. But see, I think it's not like an Eli Manning comparison. I always compare it to it's chocolate chip cookies friend that he brings to the party who's just uninvited and nobody wants. But apparently I'm wrong no, because no, then you put the Connor. poll out and then everybody just says that everyone loves oatmeal raisin cookies and I look like a fool. I got knocked out, KO'd by oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> They're delicious. They're but delicious you know what? to bake. Oh. The more I think about it, though, maybe maybe I shouldn't fight this fight because I end up benefiting any because Connor is right. Anytime you go somewhere where there is a cookie spread, a variety of cookies on a tray that you can get from like Costco or BJ's, you go to a barbecue, you know, they serve it at like the media dining room at certain basketball games or, you know, college football games. Everyone runs for the chocolate chip cookies. There's and they run out. There's always oatmeal raisin cookies left because there are enough Connors in this world turning their noses up at them that I get to sit there then. And if I take two, I don't feel guilty because I'm the only one eating them. I'm yeah. not robbing somebody else of the cookies. Maybe I should be quiet and let everybody keep hating them so there's more for me to eat. But I think th- this applies to anything in life. And I think the cookie is no different. Just because the chocolate chip cookie is the greatest cookie of all time, I, nobody's saying that that that's the only cookie you can love, right? Like, I agree. I think a chocolate chip cookie is a better fundamental all-purpose player, all-purpose cookie than the oatmeal raisin. But that doesn't make the oatmeal raisin cookie not great. Like, Steph Curry is going to be a greater player and more well-renowned with the Warriors than Klay Thompson is. It doesn't mean that Klay Thompson hasn't been a great player. Uh, you know, the oatmeal raisin cookie is still Klay Thompson, still hitting big shots, and you still need him. So that's where I think the disrespect comes. So it's 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 almost impossible, an impossible situation. You're putting the oatmeal raisin in when comparing it to the chocolate chip. It's just not fair. And, you know, I think I lose a lot of people because I am not an adventurous eater. I'm a guy that goes to, like, Chipotle and will get a burrito with just chicken and cheese on it. So oh. any sort of, like, deviation off of the regular stuff, like, I don't even put pickles on a cheeseburger, nothing like that. I get plain patty and cheese, and that's it. So <laughs> anything different from, like, just the standard chocolate chip cookie, I'm never going to eat. So maybe I'm just, like, way off on all of my food takes because of that. Interesting. Bogus, your thoughts? Um, I, I just, I think that this is going to end up being a chocolate chip takedown. Like, the problem with a chocolate chip <laughs> cookie to me... And now I'm going to be the reverse Connor. Like, I just keep thinking of it. Sometimes it does have shortcomings. It's not perfect. It is the number one cookie. That's never, I've never said otherwise. But, like, going back to this barbecue scenario, like, a, a chocolate chip cookie out in the sun after a while gets a little gross. Oatmeal raisin cookies are a little sturdier. 
They hang in there longer. To me, they last longer out in the elements, which I approve wow. of and I appreciate. So they They've can got play an extra at Lambo. Toughness to them. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's the toughest thing about me is my oatmeal raisin cookie comparison. Um, but you know, Connor, listen, you're a young man. Your your palate will expand. You'll try new things, and you know you'll you'll try an oatmeal raisin cookie one day. And you'll go, you know what? That is. That is delicious. I do like that. Bogish was right. Sean was right. The one thing, though, I will say that you can never do, that you can never recover from, this goes for everybody, there is no mixing of the two. A lot of places do the chocolate oh, chip oatmeal raisin. You can't, can't do, that. do that. No, 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 no. They're one or the other. That's it. <laughs> and you can like both. You can like one. You can like neither. Uh, but never the two shall be combined. That's I unacceptable. See, I disagree with that. I think an oatmeal-based ch- with chocolate chips instead of the raisins is a delicious cookie as well. I, Pillsbury sometimes mm, makes that dough when no. I see that. I think it's delicious as well because it's chocolate. It's oatmeal. It's, it's great. I, I cannot believe we've gotten this big in a deep dive. I have to draw a line there. <laughs> now, that being said, I, before we let you go, uh, both of you two, um, Bogish, we missed you on that first segment of Slapshot, but how could I do a PGP Wednesday after a movie review without asking you? And let me just preface this by saying, DA, DA and I just on side A discussed that this is probably the greatest movie, pound for pound, that we have done to date. Uh, and I know that includes He Got Game, which may be a little more critically acclaimed, but Slapshot itself is a movie, the best actual movie we've done. I, I feel like you, you're going to agree with that, uh, Bogish, but we love asking you in these sports movies, the biggest problem you had with the movie as your, you know, Siskel and Ebert. What, what do we got for us? I mean, to, I mean, to be honest, this watching and this has to be, I don't know, eight, nine, like you, I own it. I was happy to to find, you know, scroll to Apple TV and hit play out of my library and watch it. And um, I, so what I noticed more this time than anything else was not like any. Kind of- oh boy. Uh oh. We just lost. You know, it's funny because for a second I thought we were on live radio here, Connor Green. <laughs> and we're actually taping a podcast. I was just taking it back. And somehow, someway, Andrew Bogish has just fallen off the map in, in, as he was about to answer the Slapshot question. And I think that's actually the perfect way to end this, Connor. <laughs> this kind of feels like the last episode of The Sopranos. The screen has gone to black. And we have no idea what Andrew Bogus's biggest problem was after scrolling through his Apple TV to find Slapshot the movie. Maybe we'll have to ask him. You can follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Bogus with a C. Connor, you can follow you. At Connor underscore Green 51. And you can follow me at Mraz CBS. How did Bogus truly feel about Slapshot? A mystery that may remain forever. This has been Side B of the PGP. This has been the PGP. Have a great week. Stay united. Enjoy life, everybody. Take care. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.